I remember about five years ago, I was working part-time here at Grace Bible Church, and um, one of a uh, young gentleman put on his communication card that he recently trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, but he had some questions about her faith, his faith. So I called him up and I met with him at Starbucks and we're sitting there and I love I loved his, his attitude, a new believer. He was on fire for the Lord. The Holy Spirit was just on fire inside of him and he was so excited. He told me, you know, now I know what it means like to be born again. I, I, I feel like a different person. He said, as a matter of fact, I, I want to read my Bible now. And he told me this, and I'll never forget it. He says, I couldn't tell you a single book name in the Bible. As a matter of fact, I don't know what the Old Testament is. I don't know what the New Testament is. I don't know. But I do know that I am a new man. And I said, you're right. You are now a child of God. You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, so you are a new creation in his eyes. And he goes, yeah, one of the things that i got to do, though, is get rid of these tattoos. He had a bunch of tattoos all over his arms. I said, what? Yeah, if I want to be a real Christian, I can't have any tattoos on me. And I said, where did you hear that? And he goes on and tells me that a young lady that came here to Grace Bible Church was ministering to him and had invited him to church and had helped him in his walk with Christ. And he told him, okay, now that you're a believer, you need to get rid of all your tattoos because a real true Christian cannot have any tattoos. And I told him, that is not true. See, God doesn't care what you're like on the outside. God cares what you're like in the inside. And you just told me you're a new creation. God is in you, the Holy Spirit. So you don't need to get rid of your tattoos. Now, if you want to later on, that's up to you. But God doesn't care. And see, that's what we've been talking about these couple of weeks, these non-moral convictions. We have set in our minds certain attitudes, certain things that we need to do as Christians. They're non-moral, really. They're just beliefs that we have. Some of us think that drinking is not allowed. You cannot drink. Some of us think you cannot dance or you can't wear red lipstick, you can't have tattoos, you can't play cards. You name it, we think it. No rated R movies. If you're a Christian, definitely you can't go watch rated R movies. But some of us go to that extreme. No dancing. You can't dance, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't do any of these things. Total category. And then some of us go to the other extreme. Ah, we're not under law, we're under grace. Drink away. Dance away. Doesn't matter. And but the Bible doesn't tell us either. Some things are very, very obvious in the Bible. Moral convictions are there. There's nothing wrong with drinking. You just can't get drunk. There's nothing wrong with dancing, but we just can't dance very prerogatively, you know, and tempt somebody or others to stumble. But when it comes to our non-moral issues, we're all guilty of having our own beliefs. We even categorize our beliefs. Some of us think, you know, you can't drink, but wine. You know, wine's okay. You can't play cards, but Uno, yeah, Uno is a good game. That's a Christian game. We can all play Uno. But definitely no tattoos. Wait. If you have the little fish on you or have some verses on you, you know, if you're a billboard for Christ, then you can have tattoos. That's okay. But no radar movies. Wait a second. Unless it's Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ, you, you can go see it, even though it's a radar movie. But we're all guilty of it. We all have our ideas, our convictions when it comes to non-moral beliefs. And that's what we've been talking about. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about today. And Paul, let me just recap a little bit. Paul, first of all, tells us there's two categories. He says there's mature believers, strong believers, and there's, you know, young believers, immature believers. And he first tells us, he says, look, you strong believers, you mature believers, accept the less mature believers in. Accept them the way they are. Bring them into the family. 
But don't bring them in to argue with them and quarrel about, about your beliefs. I remember I, I was guilty of that. And I'm sure some of you were as well or are now. I remember when I first became a believer and I was reading through my Bible, I had a lot of friends that never read the Bible and I would, I would criticize them. I would tell them, why, why do you do the sign of the cross? Why do you put ashes on your forehead on, in Lent? You look ridiculous, dude. Where is it in the Bible? And just cutting them down, arguing with them. I brought them in to argue with them. Just a side note here real quick. Does anybody know why Catholics do the sign of the cross? And I did some research, and it's a beautiful tradition. It really, really is. See, the Israelite people, they would do, what they would do is they would celebrate the Shema. Throughout the day, they would stop and pause and pray to God. And they would do Deuteronomy 6. They would recite Deuteronomy 6. I am your Lord, your God. There is no other God before you. Love your God with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And they do that. That's a tradition of it. It's a beautiful tradition. It's not in the Bible. It doesn't say you have to do it, but it doesn't say you shouldn't do it. Now, if you do it for the wrong reasons, that's a different story. But it's okay. So Paul is saying, look, you more mature believers, bring them in, but don't argue with them. And then he turns to the less mature believer and he says, hey, you guys that are less mature in your walk with Christ, don't judge the more mature believer. Again, I remember my story. I'm sure some of you are guilty as well. When I first became a believer, Pastor Chad and I lived close to each other in the same neighborhood. And he asked me one weekend when he was going out of town, he said, hey, will you come over and, and feed my dog, Sadie? You know, make sure she's okay. Sure. So I was all excited. I'm going to the pastor's house. I'm not going to be there. So I walked in and I went to the back door and I fed the dog. And on my way out, there was a little bar area that Pastor Chad had in his house. And he had wine bottles. And they weren't new. They had been drunk. And I remember telling myself, oh, my, my pastor drinks. Unbelievable. How can he judging him? I went home and I said, CJ, can you believe our pastor drinks? Have me another beer, would you? And I would drink away. <laughs> me, an immature believer, judging others' actions. And yet I was doing them myself. And Paul says, you know what, you have liberty. We've got liberty. He says, the reason you have liberty and, and don't worry, don't judge others when it comes to non-moral beliefs because he says, every single one of us, every single person will one day bow before Jesus Christ our Savior. Every single one of us will one day give an account for why we did what we did and why we didn't do what we didn't do when it comes to our non-moral beliefs and to our moral beliefs. So Paul says, don't, don't judge. He also says, you've got liberty. But today we're going to see, he says, there's limits to our liberty. You're free to do what you want to do when you feel it's okay, non-moral beliefs, again, we're talking about. But there's limits you've got to have. Because remember, not everybody thinks the way you do. Not everybody is a mature believer. So let's limit ourselves. So we're going to open up our Bibles today, and we're going to read Romans 14. It's, it's, like I said, almost a chapter. We're going to have Romans 14, verse 13, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 15, verse 3. I encourage you to grab your Bibles, and if you don't have one with you, there's a Bible beneath your, your chair there, and you can find the page number on your worship guide 
Again, it's Romans 14, verses 13 through chapter 15, verse 3. The passage will be up here on the slide as well. So Paul says, verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not pass judgments on one another any longer, but rather, rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord that Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer, longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. And do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. So blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Let me give you my first point. My first point is this. Our liberty is limited in love. Our liberty as mature Christians is limited in love. Let me go back and break down the verses we just read. Verse 13 says this. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul says, let's stop what we're doing. Let's, let's make a decision right now to not be a stumbling block. If there's something that you're doing that is causing a weaker brother to stumble, put a stop to it. Don't do it. Decide not to do it. As Pastor Chad mentioned last week, there's a policy that we have here at Grace. It's a no drinking in public policy. And all pastors are not allowed to or shouldn't drink in public here in Laredo, Texas. Why? Because people have this idea of how pastors should act, what they can do and cannot do. And most of us, I was guilty of with Pastor Chad as a weaker believer. I freaked out. I didn't see him drink, but I saw that he had drunk some wine. I freaked out. So if someone were to see us at a restaurant, even though we're having one beer and the Bible doesn't say you cannot drink, it says you cannot get drunk, but even though I'm just having one beer and somebody else sees me, it might cause them to doubt. It might cause them to stumble. So we're not allowed to drink here in Laredo. But every Friday, every pastor, all pastors jump into and go to Zapata. We go to a bar. No, I'm kidding. It's a joke. We don't do that. We do not get drunk. But we, but we do. We do things. We're not supposed to be a stumbling block. A friend of ours told us that recently her sister who who lives out of town, recently trusted Jesus Christ, and she got engaged in her church, and she was real committed to it, and she joined a small group. And she went to the small group, been going for a while, and they became friends with some of the small group leaders. And 
in the conversation they were having came up what her daughter's name was. And this young lady who just became a believer, her, her daughter's name was Jezebel. And the small group leader found out. And after they had their small group uh, session, the small group leader went up to this young lady and said, you need to change your daughter's name. And the young lady was, why? Well, you named her Jezebel. Don't you know who Jezebel is? And the young lady said, no, I have no idea. I just like the name Jezebel. Well, this lady, she's in the Old Testament. Read about it. She was a terrible, terrible queen and all these other things. So she went home really confused, called her sister up and said, what have I done? Am I sinning? I, I didn't mean to name my daughter Jezebel. That small group leader was causing her to stumble, telling her, don't do this. I don't think she went back to that small group. Just like my story earlier, that lady who told that young man not to have any tattoos was causing him to stumble, to doubt. And Paul's telling us, do not be a stumbling block. Do not hinder somebody else's growth when it comes in the relationship to Jesus Christ. He goes on and says this, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. That word persuaded means that I know for a fact Jesus Christ told me himself. And Paul's saying, I know that eating meat in this case, I know all these things, the nominal issues, I know that's okay, but he says this, but if it's not okay for your weaker brother, then it's not okay for you. Do that. If it's not okay for you to drink because your weaker brother thinks drinking is not allowed as a Christian, then don't drink. Limit yourself in love. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 through 9 says, it says, Paul speaking again, however, not all possess this knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of, of having this liberty in Jesus Christ. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, he says, is defiled. Back then, as Pastor Chad mentioned, some people th thought that you could not eat or you should not eat meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And Paul's saying, we know it's okay, talking to a strong believer, but you know what? They feel it's wrong. That is their conviction. And if it's wrong to them, let it be wrong to you. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. It doesn't make a difference. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. It's just saying, limit yourself. Be careful. Don't do something that will cause a weaker brother to stumble. It's not a matter of who's right and who's wrong. It's a matter of limiting yourself because of love. He goes on in verse 15. Paul says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. He's saying basically this. Look, don't flaunt your freedom. If it causes a brother to stumble, don't, don't go out and be flaunting away. How many of you guys have ever been on a diet? Ah, oh, come on. Everybody's hands should go up. Get serious. I'm on a diet now. My wife is on a different diet than I am. She's on a whole 30 kind of diet. I'm on a uh, no carbs kind of diet. She can eat potato. I can eat potato. I know there's nothing wrong with eating potato, but right now, for me, I am convinced that I cannot eat potato. It's not right. 
So my wife doesn't force me, come on, eat the potato, because she knows that right now for me, because in the diet I'm in, I won't eat potato. She doesn't force it. Or she doesn't come around going like, mm, I love baked potato, you can't have, son. She's not flaunting it. And that's what Paul is saying. Even though it's not wrong, don't force it on anybody else. Be a stronger, a more mature Christian. And it's very important. Look what Paul says. He says, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. In other words, don't cause divisions. Don't let something that really is good be spoken of as evil. Churches split for some dumb, non-moral issues. See, some of you right now are probably thinking, finally, the pastor's dressed up in a nice slack and a nice shirt. He's not wearing jeans, his shirt all tucked out. That's the way a pastor should be. Don't you think? And you start these little rumors. I like the way he looks like that guy, El, El Joel Osteen. Así me gusta. <laughs> but you start, this is our normal beliefs. What if I came up here one time and wearing shorts and flip-flops and a t-shirt? Would that make me any less of a pastor? But we start those little divisions and we start talking to, don't you think from now on every pastor should wear slacks and a nice shirt? Let's put on the communication card. And, and Paul is saying, don't. Don't divide what Jesus Christ came and died for. Do not divide his body, his church. Don't be a division. Don't argue over non-moral issues. Don't argue on something that doesn't make a difference. My second point to you guys is this. Our liberty is to be used in peace. So we got to limit our, our liberty in love, and then we have to use our liberty in peace, for peace. Look what Paul says in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. See, Christianity is not a matter of do's and don'ts, don't do this, you can't do this. It's not a matter of that. Paul is saying it's a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of being authentic. It's a matter of knowing who died for your sins. That's what I love about Grace Bible Church. We try to be as real as possible. Pastor Chad is as real as he can get. And I consider him one of my very good friends. And, and I, I, the more I get to know him, I, I just realize he's just another guy like I'm a guy. I love the fact when we go play football or, or basketball, we do that. A bunch of guys from church, and it's invited to anybody. We go and play, and we encourage to invite people that don't come to church. And the guys come over, and after playing football, they go, and they talk to the person that invited him. And they said, you know that guy that was shooting a bunch of three-pointers? Talk, talking about me, of course. Well, that's one of our pastors. Really? Wow, you know that guy that was talking all that smack? Well, that's our senior pastor. Are you serious? See, we're real. If you all had a camera and some of the conversation that Pastor Adrian and I had, you, you freak out. We, <laughs> we, go, we go on trips, and I love the story. Every time we go on trips and we take a new staff member with us when we go to a, a convention and they hear. And so Adrian and I love Luis Miguel. Yeah, we don't just listen to Christian music. We jam out to Luis Miguel. And we're dancing and not dancing. We're singing away, you know, playing the drums. And at first, people that don't know us are like, what? But then they love that about us. People ask me, do I call you pastor? No, you call me your reverend. No. I say, hey, no, just, just call me Eddie. We're just guys. 
like any other guys, but you know what? We love Jesus Christ. And we're real and authentic. That's what I love about the men's retreat. You get to know pastors, non-pastors. We're all the same in the eyes of God. And that's what Paul is saying. Be real. He's all saying, be, make peace, have peace. See, the kingdom of God is about peace, not divisions. Interact with each other. Don't let these non-moral issues get in the way. And he says it's about joy. And I love grace because it's so joyful. We hear all the time testimonies of people walking in the first time and the love, the attitude, the, the welcome attitude that grace provides. See, because we're full of joy. Because we know who gave us that joy. But my prayer is that the joy that I, that I feel and that you feel is not just Sunday morning. It's not just for an hour. It's when we walk out of this, this building, we still have that joy where we go, where we work, no matter where we, what we do, where we're at. So people can see truly what the kingdom of God is like. But he says this, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Paul is saying, look, if you're doing what is right in the eyes of God, it's accepted by God. But you know what else? It's approved by men. Men are going to like it eventually. Talking about us. I hear stories of, of men that uh, they work on the oil fields and they're surrounded by men for days. And Christians always stand out. And, and other, men's make, other men make fun of people, Christians that don't drink or they're praying all the time. Oh, there goes that guy, holy roller, doesn't cuss. And they separate them. But it never fails. I always hear this. That whenever a person who is judging or making fun of a Christian goes, feels some sort of trouble in their marriage or whatever, they go to that person and say, will you pray for me? See, they stand out because he's doing what is acceptable to God. And at that moment, it is also approved by men. I hope we're a church. I hope we're a church that people can say, now that's a Christian. And I can come to him because I want what they have. I love what one pastor said. He said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear a sermon any day. And what he's saying is that we all should be a sermon on how we live our lives outside this building. He goes on and he says this in verse 19. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. My third point is this. Our liberty is to be used to build others up. Our liberty is to be used to build others up. Paul repeats himself. Look, we know it's okay to eat meat to do all these things, but don't, don't destroy what Christ has done. Don't be a stumbling block. If it's wrong for them, let it be wrong for you. But most importantly, he says, let us pursue, chase after, be active all the time for what? Whatever makes peace and whatever builds up another believer. That's what we should pursue. That's what we should be concerned about, not these non-moral issues or convictions that we have, but pursue to build others up. Imagine if, if a young lady walked in this morning and she sat in the back, dressed all funky, tattoos on her face and on her arms, 
Maybe had a, a nose ring. Smelled like cigarette. And she sat in the back. And after I, I finished my sermon, I went up to her and I said, hey, um, if you do come back next week, will you dress a little different? Because you were distracting me. And, and you know what? Get, get rid of that nose ring because we don't accept nose ring. And, and really, maybe don't smoke right before coming into the sanctuary. How would, how would you think she'd feel? Do you think she would ever walk into this church again or any church for that matter? I just tore her down. What if I went up to her after I preached and I said, hey, I'm glad you're here. Man, have you met so-and-so? Do you have a Bible? I love your nose ring. Did it hurt? Building her up and gradually showing her who Christ was. It'd be a different, different scenario, a different ending to that. I, I hate heights and I hate bridges. So let me give you this illustration. Imagine I had to walk through this narrow wooden bridge with rope and it was really not very secure. Again, I, I don't like bridges, but I'm going to do this just for your sake, okay? So I'm walking through the bridge slowly, very cautious. Now some of you love bridges. Some of you could care less. You'd probably be running back and forth that bridge like there's no, no tomorrow, wiggling it, jumping up and down. What if I'm walking through this bridge very, very cautious, super duper scared, and you come behind me and start wiggling, come on, and moving in the whole thing, and I'd freak out. I promise you I would never, ever get on that bridge again. See, every Sunday morning, this church is somebody's bridge. They walk in here terrified and, and just walking slowly. Let's not be a church that comes up and says, come on, hurry up, move. Don't do this, don't do that, move, move, move. You really want to walk through this bridge, you got to do it my way, this way, quickly. No, let's be, let's be a church that comes behind that person and says, okay, take it easy. I know you're scared. Step by step. You got it. There you go. And walk them to the other side of the bridge where Christ is waiting with his hands wide open. And that's what Paul is saying. Let's build up. Let's not push down. That's what we need to pursue. Encourage anybody, no matter where they are in their walk with Christ. Jesus has accepted everybody, all sinners. And that's a church that Paul is calling us to be. He goes on in verse 22 and he says this. He says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because this eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. My fourth point to you is this. Our liberty should have discernment. Our liberty should have discernment. Look what Paul is saying there. He's saying, look, if someone is truly convinced, when it comes to a normal issue, if someone's truly convinced that it is a sin and they do it, then it's a sin. Even though to you it might not be a sin. And then he says, but if you make that person do something that they're convinced that is morally wrong and you cause them to do something, then you have caused them to sin. He says, let your faith be between you and God. Would you believe when it comes to normal issues, let it be between you and God. You question yourself, is it right, is it wrong between you and God? Let me give you some practical questions you can ask yourself to figure out, look, is, is, is my liberty okay or is it okay? So some questions you can ask yourself is, has God given me the liberty 
in that area or not. In other words, what does the Bible say when it comes to this, this, or the other? Sit back and think, is it just a non-moral issue? Is it just my conviction? Or is the Bible clear in what it says about certain activities? You can ask yourself, how does my behavior affect my relationship with God and others? Is my behavior affecting others? In other words, am I doing something that might cause others to stumble? You can ask yourself, let me back up real quick. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 says, he says this. Paul again, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, he repeats himself again, but I will not be dominated by anything. Anything. He's saying, look, are you so convinced that it's nothing wrong with drinking, even though your weaker brother thinks it's drinking, that you're going to keep on drinking? Ask yourself, ask yourself, is my behavior affecting my relationship? Ask yourself, if Jesus returned today, would I be ashamed? Is there something that you're doing right now that Jesus would be ashamed of you? Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If it's not shameful, if Jesus is right in front of you, then it's okay. Ask yourself, how will my attitudes and action impact others? How am I doing these normal issues impacting my family, my friends, whoever? And then finally, I think the most practical way you can do is, is if you have any doubt, then don't. If you have any doubt, then don't. If you don't know if it's biblically correct, if it's a non-moral issue, it's a moral issue, then just don't do it. That's the simplest and easiest way to have discernment. He concludes in Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 3, Paul says this. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it, but as it is written... The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Look what Paul is saying is to a strong believer. He says, you have an obligation. It's not a choice. We, a strong believer, are obligated. Obligated to build a brother up. To not cause a weaker brother to stumble. It's an obligation, not a choice. We need to put people's needs before ours. And why? He tells us. Because Jesus Christ did that. He stepped out of heaven. He gave all the freedom, all his liberty that he had for you and for me. See, Jesus Christ was so committed to doing the will of his Father that he gave up all his liberties in heaven so that you and I could have a clear path. So that you and I wouldn't have any stumbling blocks to the Father. Jesus was willing to suffer the reproach of the world and not please himself so that anyone who put their trust in him would be redeemed and edified. We need to be that example. We need to be that church. That church 
that resembles what Jesus Christ did for you and for me. So imagine a church. Imagine a church who would not let their non-moral convictions get in the way. In other words, imagine a church that didn't really care when it came to non-moral convictions. Didn't really care whether a person was dressed funky. Didn't really care if they did the sign of the cross or did not do the sign of the cross. Didn't really care if they wore red lipstick when they came to church or didn't wear red lipstick. But just put their non-moral convictions aside and accepted anybody and everybody who wanted to come and worship our Savior. Imagine, imagine a church that persuaded peace and the building up of others. Not a church that would tell you don't do this and don't do that. But a church to say, you know what, it's okay. Let me guide you along the way. Let me step behind you and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Imagine a church that would do all those things. A church that would be willing to give up something for someone else. A church that would put someone else's needs in front of their own. Imagine that impact we can do and be here in Laredo if we were that church. But not just a church that would feel that they had to, but a church that would do it out of joy. A church that would truly realize that Jesus Christ did all he had to do, what he did out of joy. A church that was willing to do that and be happy to do that. Grace, we could be that church. Grace, my prayer is that we are that church. And it's a simple formula I think that we can follow to become the church that Jesus Christ died for. And this, this formula is this. It's Jesus first, others second, and ourselves last. We would put Jesus first and submit to his will, whether we like it or not. And then we would put others first. We put our non-moral uh, non convictions, convictions apart, that we put others' needs first before ours. Then we would say, you know what? If drinking causing a weak, causes a weaker brother to stumble, I am never going to drink again. If my actions causes a weaker brother to stumble, I won't do those things ever again. I am putting your needs in front of mine. And then a church that would put ourselves at the very end. That is my prayer. And grace, I know we are that church. And if we're not, let's strive to that. Let's pursue that. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you've given us your word and it's so clear. Father, I pray that you give us the strength and the will to listen to what you tell us. Listen to you, Father, and let it penetrate our hearts. Father, you gave up everything for us. Because you loved us. Let us be that example here in Laredo. Give up, giving up whatever it may be, Father. So that others can come to you. Father, I pray that you do changes from the inside out. Not that we're obligated to do it, Father. But we're willing to do it. Just like your son was willing to sacrifice himself for us. Father, I want grace to be that church. Father, we need your help. And I pray that we are convinced that we want to be that church. Father, I thank you for your son and what he has done for us and continues to do. 
Father, and I pray all these things in your son's name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.